0: welcome to the relationship church podcast when detectives are working a case they look to determine what would drive a person of interest to commit a crime when it comes to how you handle money what's your motivation today our guest speaker regina fowler discusses the things that we should consider when handling the resources that god has entrusted unto us We now join this message already in progress.
1: I hope you enjoy it, I hope you share it, but it truly is a testimony of our lives. And so far the people who have read it, they just talked about the the comments I got, especially like my um, children's kids who are in their friends who were in their thirties, like, wow, what a journey of faith, because it does take faith to, you know, trust God to help you handle your finances. And that really is the first point I'm go- I wanna make today. And this, this lesson, now if I was talking to in a secular setting, I would this would be a little different, but because I am talking to people of faith, I'm gonna, I'm a, I'm a focus on faith. Because, and one of the things I wrote in my book is that, um, I was talking about my parents in the first chapter and you know, they grew up in the South, you know, in Jim Crow and they were sharecroppers and their families were treated really bad. And I told them that, you know, my life, I, didn't, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my life because my parents didn't have money. However, I did grow up with a leg up on everybody else because my parents were people of faith. So even if you don't have a silver spoon in your, your, uh, in your mouth, the fact of the matter is that because you know God and you know faith, you actually have a leg up on everybody else because you have faith in the person who really can do a great thing in your life. So my first uh, talk, uh, my first uh, point I wanna make to you all is that you actually have, you, if you're gonna be successful, and it's not just in finances, it's, it's in any area of your life. It's just so happens that I'm here to talk about finances, but this is true for any area, area in your life. If you truly wanna be the best that you can be, you should trust in the one who created you. You should trust in the one who has everything. You should have trust in the one. If you want finances, why not trust in the one who says the earth is mine and the fullness thereof? Why not trust in that one? So this first point I want to make is is to encourage you. If you truly are having financial trouble, no matter how bad bad of the situation you're in, trust in God. Because believe me, we had tons of debt that we had to get out of. But before I get into trusting I want to talk about this concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How many of you heard have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Excellent. Excellent. Maslow was a psychologist back in the 1940s, I believe 40s, maybe. Yeah, I think it was in the 40s. He uh, published this, um, you know, theory that all humans have this hierarchy of needs that we must fulfill and until we fulfill those needs, you know, everything we do is going to be motivated. Our, all our motivations are going to be based on us fulfilling these needs. So Maslow says there are five basic needs that we have to fulfill as human beings. One being the first, and I don't think you can see that too good, but the first one is physiological needs. Those are the most basic needs that we can have as human beings. They include food, water, warmth, warmth and sleep. Maslow says that if we don't, if as humans, if we don't have those things, our whole attention is gonna be motivated by getting those things. I'm on the uh, school board of St. Louis Public Schools. And we often have conversations and, and in the city, um, 80% of our students are considered um, poor. And so most of them get free breakfast and free lunch. And um, And what happened when they started free lunch back in the um, uh, 60s or 70s, and actually it was the Black Panthers who actually pushed free lunches in school. And because of that push, they started uh, allowing students to get their lunch at school because they realized, and through the Black Panthers' help is that, if a kid's not eating, you could forget them learning math or English. And so they started uh, uh, giving school kids lunch at school who needed the lunch. And then of course they added breakfast some years later, I think in the eighties. So we talk about that often on the school board is that there's no reason for us, to, there's no, we can't expect our kids to do well on math tests when they come to school hungry. They don't wanna learn if they're hungry. And so we insist that we get kids to school on, at a certain time so they can have breakfast first and then lunch. And of course during the pandemic when everybody was working from home, the school systems, especially in the poor areas, set up uh, uh, designated places so that children and their families can come get food. And we weren't just feeding the students, we were also feeding whole families because they needed to eat. So Maslow was saying that, and and I agree with he was, what he says, that we have to make, take care of those physiological needs. We have to care, uh, uh, take care of those basic needs. And then as you go up this pyramid, he says you, you then we have you people have to feel safe, they have to feel that they have they are safe in their homes they are safe in their neighborhoods. They have to feel that they have security around them and the next level up is that you have to have belonging and love needs, which is having intimate relationships and friendships close relationships with other people. And then the uh, next the fourth level is esteem needs we need prestige, we need to feel like you know we have accomplished something and his final. Uh, uh, uh prong on the pyramid is self-actualization, which says that everybody needs to f- uh, feel like they've achieved their full potential, including their creative activities. I mean, the, your, the brother, what? I mean, if he sings like that, it would be horrible if he never got to use his voice, right? So he's saying everybody needs to fulfill, uh, come to the point where they feel like they're fulfilling their full atten- uh, 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 potential. And I actually agree with, agree with Maslow. And when I learned about this back in the eighties, which was when I was in college, because in high school they didn't teach it to us. I was like, wow, this is truly amazing. It's absolutely, absolutely amazing. But since I have, and you know, when I got to college I was reaching for all those things. You know, I wanted to get self actualization. I wanted to, you know, really go high in my career. And I wanted to uh, 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 feel like I was important. I did all these things in my life to feel better and we got into debt because we wanted stuff because those things you know prove that we you know we had arrived you know if we drove a really nice car people would think we've arrived and if we if our house was really nice and fully furnished even if we got it on debt people would come in and like think wow these Fowlers are really something you know look what they're look what they've done look what they're doing and so we spent our time trying to get these things, and to do it, we, didn't, we did it through debt, and what we ultimately discovered is that while trying to pursue these things on the pyramid, we were actually depressing our ability to become who we really wanted to be, because at the end of the day, or at the end of the month, we had to pay for all those things that we had gotten, and we had to pay off that debt, and that was depressing me. Not depressing me like I was feeling sad, but it was depressing my ability to truly prosper like I wanted to. But what I realized and what my husband and I realized is that we have to change. We simply cannot live this way. And it really was uh, me getting pregnant. We were married um, almost, well, a little over six years when we had our first child. So we spent the first five years or so, you know, just doing what we wanted to do, spending like we wanted to. But once we we got pregnant with our first child, it hit us. We can't bring a child in this world this way because if we don't have it together, our child won't have it together. And so we decided to go through this process of reworking how we thought about life and how we thought about pursuing what life said we should have. And what I've discovered, and especially counseling people and teaching these sessions is that Maslow really did have these things right. The only thing Maslow did is he missed the first prong of the pyramid. And that's the prong that really helps us become uh, financially independent and independent of ourselves and dependent upon God. What Maslow forgot was that The first part of the the first prong in the uh, pyramid really should have been meeting our spiritual needs. That is the first thing we should seek after. Because Maslow says that as we go up this pyramid, we are motivated by accomplishing these things in the pyramid. But he left off our spiritual needs, which is. Having a relationship in God and trusting Him. Saying that God, you can do it all. God, you can provide all. And and like and, 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 and what Maslow said about our motivation is that we are motivated to reach every level of the pyramid. What if God became our motivation in everything we did? What if God became the motivation? See if we don't seek after the physiological needs like food, water, warmth, a place to stay first, and instead seek God first. We can trust God because God says that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those little things are added. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I don't mind stealing somebody else's word and message. So I will tell you right now, I didn't come up with this. Bishop Noel Jones did, and I'm just stealing his work. He preached a message about a month, a month and a half ago. He said, what are we worried about as saints? And he went through the process of, uh, of talking about how we really push to get so many things. And we said, we got to have, um, you know, food, water, and clothing. He said, why are you? A, why is someone who trusts God worrying about that when God promises you that that's done? Don't worry about it. And then he said, why are we worried about security and uh, safety? When God tells us that in uh, Exodus 14, 13, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But we're worried about it because, hey, Maslow says if we're worried about it, we're going to be motivated to get it. But if we change our motivation to say, God, I trust you, then God has it all ready for us, already given it to us. And we talk about belonging and love needs. And John 6 and 21 says that we are his bride and we are his friend. We have a friend in Jesus. But what if we're seeking after someone who could take care of us, you know, oh, I need this woman. I need this man to take care of me. If I don't have that, I can't do anything. But Jesus said, the word said, you are the bride of Christ. I, you are my friend. And what a better friend to have than Jesus and then we look for our, uh, uh esteem needs. Lord, I need this, I need that. But Ecclesiastes, uh, well, Psalm 75 and 6 says, I don't know about heart, so I have to get my word to. Uh, um, uh, Psalm 75 and 6, tell me what that says. Psalm 75 and 6 says, promotion doesn't come from the east or west it comes from God so why are you worried about being getting self-esteem God has for you something and you're going to get it if you stay in him and then he says and go to Ecclesiastes 9 and 11 he says oh I will tell you I know what that says he says time and ch- the race isn't given to the swift or the strong and he ends up saying time and chance happens to all of us so If God has something for you, he's going to give you the time and the chance to accomplish it. We don't have to worry about esteem, but if God is not our motivation, that time and chance is going to pass us up and we will never get to the top of this uh, pyramid of self-actualization that says, I've accomplished all. What do we want to accomplish? Well, my motivation is, in, is Christ. My motivation comes from my trust in Christ. I want to accomplish everything God has for me. When we can trust in God. Oh, thank you so much. When we can trust in God. Now, I went over all of this so that you can make it so I could uh, make it clear that everything, no matter how we live, God has it. But when we entrust in God, I want to bring it back to the finances. God will take care of you. But we have to get to that point that we truly trust in him and that's what one chapter talks about can we have faith in god to trust him even when we mess things up um i talk about that book when my husband and i had decided we got to get out of this debt and we start um you know reading a book by larry broquette because he was the big financial christian financial uh guru back then and we, we uh, read a book by Ron Blue, who was one of the older uh, financial gurus also. Ron Blue said something is that if you truly want to get your finances in place, you have to trust God and you simply have to put a stop sign on your, what you get and what you buy. So my husband and I decided that we were going to, you know, pull ourselves together, prepare a budget, and we were going to live by a budget. Granted, we messed up several times what you're going to do, and but that's okay. But you want to get back to it. And once we started doing that by faith and trusting in God, the Lord started opening up the windows of heaven like we've never seen before. And in the book, I talk about how much he opened the windows of heaven. And I couldn't even write. You know, uh Ecclesiastes talks about how the number of books are many. You know, people are always writing books and they've been doing it for centuries, you know. And so I can't even write all the testimonies of God's blessings for us um, in one volume because they're just too many. And what happened is that once we gave it all to God, everything fell in place, everything. And I will say there's a scripture that says, uh, God, he does exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. According to the, power that works in us. According to the faith that we have in us, God will work exceeding abundantly. What that says, and here's another play on adjectives and adverbs. A lot of people quote that scripture and say he will do exceedingly abundantly. Exceedingly abundantly. The scripture actually says he will do exceeding abundantly. Not exceedingly. Exceedingly abundantly just says that it just further describes abundantly. He will do great for you and he'll do it in an exceedingly a way that's that's exceedingly. Exceeding abundantly actually says, he will do above what you ever imagined abundance to be. How much abundance do you really wanna have? How much do you really want to have? If you truly, I mean, like your brother here, he should be singing somewhere that's far, you know, that's out there, winning Grammys and stuff. I mean, that's the kind of voice you have, period. The question is, can you see that greatness in you and can you trust God's greatness for you to be that I put in in one of the in the back of the cover of the book I wrote that if you can see it as mere humans you still have no idea what God can do for you because as we grow in God we tend to see him as bigger and greater and greater and that's why I like that song song if you, if you, if God is just, God is just too good to just be good. If you can see him as being greater and greater, all that says is your eyes is open just a little bit more. Because so you see, we see through a glass on this earth. What that means is that we only see parts. We see in part on earth. We don't even see the full glory of God here on earth. But the closer you get to God and the, and the more you trust in God, you begin to see him more uh, more clearly. But that's still just in part. There's a um, the prophet Isaiah, when um, the Syrian army had come against he and his, because, um, you know, he was warning the Israelites that, you know, the, the Syrians were going to attack him. And every time the Syrians went to attack Israel, you know, Israel was ready for them. So the Syrian king says, somebody's telling these people. And so one of his uh, uh, generals or majors in the arm, his army said, well, I think it's that prophet I, uh, Elijah, Elisha. And so they, uh, the king of Syria said, well, we are gonna kill Elisha. So he went after he found out where Elisha and his Elisha's servant was. And he told, and the Syrian armies surrounded Elisha and his servant. And it's the servant, the young servant says, oh, Lord, we are dead now. Because he saw the Syrian army. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes. And when the servant's eyes were open, he saw God's army surrounding the Syrians, Syrian, the Syrians' army. What that says is that when we open our eyes and truly begin to see God, everything falls in place. We see how great he really is. We have to do that with our finances. We have to say, Lord, I submit these to you. I am in trouble now. And my, I talk about my husband and I, how we had to repent. Oh, thank you. We had to repent for going into the debt because I, I am a CPA, a certified public accountant. My husband's a banker. We knew better, but we did it anyway. Trying to get self-actualization before its time. We repented and said, Lord, we trust in you. We put it all in your hands now. And when I say that we have, where we are now are places that I never imagined that we people from off who lived off Goodfellow and Julian and Goodfellow and Bartman, we are places we never thought were imaginable. We just couldn't imagine doing the things we do. But it's not for our glory, it's because we saw God. We saw what He's able to do. When the Lord, the Bible tells us that the earth of the Lord is in the fullness thereof are his, that's true. Why can't you reap those things? I am a firm believer that we don't reap those things because we get in the way. And everybody I've counseled, everybody I've talked to and helped them through their finances who are doing amazing things now, realize they've always gotten in their own way. When I uh, put my book on Facebook, my niece said something I thought was really extraordinary. I had counseled she and her husband, and she uh, kind of just encouraged people to get the book because she realized it was real. And, she, you know, they were really, I mean, they made decent money, but they were just struggling financially. They had so much debt. And I told her, I said, and I didn't even realize think she was listening, but I told her, I said, you know, the, because you are faithful in your giving, God has all this stored up for you. He can't give it to you now because you simply aren't ready. I said, but when you're ready, he's going to pour out those blessings and you won't be able to receive them. She wrote about the book. She said, I told her that. She was a bit annoyed by it. She didn't understand it, but then she did decide, well, let me go ahead and let's get our finances together. When the Lord, when she said, Lord, I commit this to you, Now, this was a tired-paying girl, so it ain't tired-paying people can mess up, too, because we were tired-paying people. We messed up. So when she decided, Lord, I commit my finances to you, her blessings have been amazing, even amazing to me, and I know how amazing God is, but she had to come to the point to say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I trust in you. So my first message to you is trust in the one who really has it all. Have a relationship with him. Believe in him. Because once you do that, i would to be honest, it just something about your spirit changes. You just become relaxed in him. And that's what Bishop Noel Jones was saying. Once you can trust in him and know that he'll provide all these things that you need, you just become relaxed in him and you stop worrying so much. And Ecclesiastes 5 and 13, chapter 5, 13 and 16 says, There is a sore evil, which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. It says, but those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, uh, an offspring, and there is nothing in his hand. So he's talking about a rich person who goes after it all for the wrong reason, not trusting God, did it in ways that aren't, you know, uh, uh, appropriate he ends up losing it. And he says, as he came forth of his mother's womb naked, shall he return, he'll return to that just as he came. And he will take nothing of his labor with him. And then it says in verse 16, and this also is a uh, sore evil, that in all points as he came, he shall, so shall he go. And what profit does he have if he labored only for the wind. So this person put all of his energies, all of his most motivations about getting all these things in life, but he did it the wrong way. And it became, he, all he did was labor for the wind because he can't take it anywhere. When God truly blesses you, you wanna open up your hands and be a blessing to someone else because you realize I can't take all I have with me. So why let it perish and go to people, uh, you know, and we want to be a blessing to our kids, obviously leave an inheritance to our kids, which is great. But the fact of the matter is, you don't know if they're gonna handle it well. So why, why why hold on to all this stuff while you're here on earth? Versus instead, why don't you instead open up your hands? Which is the second point I wanna talk about. Open your hands. Now, what do I mean by opening your hands? I am talking about giving. Now, this is a hard concept for a lot of people, not just in church everywhere. The idea of giving, I'm struggling and you want me to give? Are you crazy? I am not crazy because uh, uh, what's wise to us isn't wise to God. God uses the foolishness things of this world to confound the wise, as a matter of fact. His ways are far away above our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. So he's saying, how do you get from me? He says, open your hands because you got to release something to get something. Understand that the principle of sowing, reaping and sowing, which means you have to put something in to get something out, is God's way of blessing us. Trusting in him, and we have to be able to trust in him to trust enough to give. Now, this is not a concept for just church people. This is a concept for any people. You don't have to be saved to give. Most people say, when we start talking about giving to church, we think we're talking just about tithes and offer. Oh, you gotta give your tithes and offer. And I believe that you have to give your tithes and offer if you're in the church. But there are plenty of unsaved people who actually don't go to church, who are, as rich, who are rich as can be because they give. I was, I'm reading Tyler Perry's book. It's something about higher. I don't remember the name of it. But before he was rich, he was poor. But when he was poor, he still gave. When you have a person who will give, no matter where they are, they have opened their hands to be given, to be blessed of the Lord. Now there are two types of giving that I think, well, let me tell you what uh, giving is. Giving is really an outward material expression of a deep spiritual commitment that we have. What that means is that it's something you do outwardly for other people with what, what the material things you have, which, you know, money, clothes, whatever you have. And it really is a reflection of your heart, which means that if someone is suffering, If I have a little bit, I need to help. In my book, I talk about my husband's mother. And I say about her, I said, she was the type of person that if she had a dollar and you needed the dollar, the dollar was yours. If all she had was a dollar and you needed the dollar, the dollar was yours. I call that kind of person a compassionate giver. Someone who sees someone else in need and they help them without question, They do it because there is a need. The Bible tells us that when we do give compassionately, he will bless us. And there are a whole lot of people who are compassionate givers who don't go to church. You know that? And we wonder, well, why are these people wealthy? And I'm not doing something. You know, a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about Oprah Winfrey. Oh, she's full of herself. I think she's a possessive devil. They were saying so many things about Oprah. And it was almost like envious that she was wealthy. How in the world did she get rich? But have you read Oprah's story? Before she was rich, she was poor. And she gave endlessly in poverty. My husband is a good friend of uh, David Stewart, who is uh, the founder of Worldwide Technology. And when I first met him, he wasn't so rich. (laughs) Matter of fact, it was just a few years prior that he had, um, you know, his car had been repossessed and all that stuff. But what I learned about him and what I admired about him most, because our first dinner was at the uh, steakhouse on Grand, you know, the old steakhouse where you get the $8 steak. It may be 13 now, but we ate there. But as I was listening to him, he always constantly talked about how he gave. And if it hurt him, he still gave, no matter what he gave. God tells us that we need to be givers. And as we give, we holding on to our stuff, as we give, we have to open up our hands. And as your hands are open, he pours into those hands more. There are a few scriptures I want to tell, talk to you about. It says um, in 1 John... Well, here's the first one. In 1 John 3 and 17, and I'm talking about those compassionate givers because we have to be more than church givers. We have to also be compassionate givers. It says, but whoso have this world's goods and see if his brother have need and shutteth up his vows of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. How do we see people in need and not help them? Even if it means we do without, we don't have to have a steak. We can eat a piece of chicken. If somebody else we know is starving, just eat the chicken. Don't eat the steak. And then he says, in Proverbs 19 and 17, I love this scripture. He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. When you bless the poor, because your heart is compassionate toward them, guess who owes you? God. Imagine God being in debt to you because you help the poor. You know somebody who really needs something and you say, I only have, brother, sister, I only have $10, but you know what? I'm gonna give it to you because I could go home and eat a bowl of cereal. Imagine that, that all of a sudden God is indebted to you. Now, this is something I had to learn. I wasn't natural with this, I will be honest, but my husband's family, his mother, was a natural at that. And I learned this through him and his, and his mom in particular. You just give the people, hurt yourself. If you're not gonna, you know, if it's not gonna be hurt to the, you're not gonna be hurt to the point that you will be out on the streets, bless someone else. In the book, I talk, give testimonies of how, when we decided to give and God just blessed us amazingly. I'm gonna share this testimony because I want everybody to understand God's way of blessing someone is by giving, you giving. My husband and I, my son was in college and he, we were, he was on uh, Christmas break. And we owned a house that, you know, we had paid that house off and uh, we, um, we had just done the final work that we wanted, our kitchen and our bath. And we just finished our master bath. We had just finished that. Um, but there was this one house that I really loved in my neighborhood, but it was just so expensive. And my husband, like, no, we're not paying that kind of money for that house. But during this Christmas break, a friend of my my friend of my son texted and said, Hey, I won't see you next semester. And he ultimately told her that her parents had lost their jobs and so they can't afford to pay the tuition that's due. And so my husband was like, my son was like, Bummer. And then my uh, husband asked, Well, what's going on? And he told us what was going on with his friend. And my husband's immediate words was well we can't let somebody not go to college that makes no sense and so he asked he asked my son asked the young lady can he talk to her father and so she talked to he, my husband talked to her father and asked hey you know we want to be a blessing we want to make sure your daughter finishes school and so we are willing to pay for the tuition and so the father said you know that i was praying for a miracle this is the miracle i was praying for and so we paid the tuition, but the next week I was coming from church, passing this house that I really liked, but wasn't gonna pay for. And I saw these signs on the window. So I said, only two things are happening. Either they're working on that uh, house or somebody's losing that house. Cause you know, they have put the signs on the window when the house is being lost. And so I called the agent, it was on sale. But it was on sale so I'm like, I think this person is losing a house. I called the agent and she said, yeah, they're losing a the house. The agent just happened to know my husband's cousins. And she said, yeah, well, you guys offered this amount, about half, the, about half the amount the house cost when we looked at it. She said, I'll make sure you guys get it. It took six months to close on a house, but she wouldn't let anybody bid on that house. This is the house we wanted. We weren't willing to go into that kind of debt for it, but because we gave, I believe that house became open to us. And here's the thing. We were able to sell the house we were in for more than twice what we paid for and we were able to pay cash for the house we really wanted. See, God is good. God does more than we can ever imagine that he would do, but sometimes we gotta release some stuff. We gotta open our hands and give. We gotta help somebody else. It really isn't about us alone. It's what God, when God asked, um, Abel, Cain, when God asked Cain, where's my brother? And he, and he is responsible. Now, brother's, am I my brother's keeper? Well, in fact, you are. That's why I'm asking you, where is he? We are our brother's keepers. We are to uh, help our community. We are to give. We have to open up our hands. So that's the second point, opening up our hands. Now, I do want to talk about the giving in the church. Because guess what? There is an expectation that we give in our churches. Pastor Neil and his wife work full-time jobs they work hard but they also labor in ministry they don't need your money to be for them because they make enough money to, to pay for their lives but guess what this community needs relationship church this community needs a pastor that's not stuck in the 60s i'm gonna be honest that doesn't work as well anymore you need a pastor that that can reach the generation that is that is today my kids won't go to my church they just told me oh no my son doesn't live here but he said yeah if I came back to St. Louis I wouldn't be going to your church and my daughter did come back to St. Louis and she said, oh no I'm not going to your church (laughs) it's just a different appeal and we need those but guess what he can't do it all himself. He can't do it all financially, even though I'm sure he takes a lot of burden and his parents, I'm sure do too. When God sets up the church, he said he has set up a method for us to ensure that ministry is done. And ministry is just not what's done here on Sundays. It's ministry is done what, uh, in this community. Ministry is done uh, on Zoom, paying for those accounts. And I, I, I was talking to this one sister who I was counseling, and she was saying, Well, I just can't give tithes. I just can't do that. And so we were going through her three months of expenses just to go and go through them because that's one of the first things we do in counseling, is go through everything she spends. And the sister would only give if the preacher would, you know, promise her a miracle. You know how preachers do, you know, come and get in this line and you know, turn three town around three times, and the Lord's gonna give you an overflow. And that overflow never comes. So this sister had spent years doing that and she never got an overflow. So when we were looking at her three years of expenses, I said, do you know, you've given in these special offerings the exact amount you would have paid in tithes. So if her tithes were about $200 a month, she was giving that in these special offerings. I said, God's not honoring your special offerings because you came to him for what you can get out of him and you didn't come to him out of faith. The sister start saying, well, I'm going to stop getting in those lines. She just started paying her tithes about six months ago. Well, about last year, she finished her degree, finally, in her 40s. And then she testified she got a job that blew her mind because of the pay she got. All she did was start giving the dime. She wasn't even giving no big offers. She just gave the dime. But what she did is said, I'm going to trust God and let him do it. But the worst thing is that as she was going through her finances, she didn't even realize she was giving that, that amount anyway. And Jesus warns us about just giving just to get something from him. He talked about when he fed the 4,000, you know, when you, you know, he fed, there are two par- stories where he fed, the. they're not parables, they were true things, where he fed 5,000 plus men and women, then 4,000 men and, and then men and women. When he fed the 4,000, the people at the next day, the people came looking for Jesus because they had seen this huge miracle. They all were fed with these fishes and loaves. And they came looking for Jesus and they found him on the other side of the uh, river. And they came to Jesus saying, Well, we want you to do something for us. Jesus told them, No, no, you're coming to me for one thing the fishes and the loaves. And Jesus proceeded and told, proceeded to tell them what you need to do. It's come to me because you trust in me. You believe in me. So my first point about trusting is, you got to trust first. Then when you truly believe in God, release him to be a blessing to you. And your world will open up to financial blessings that you never imagined. This, I can assure you. And it won't come all at once, no. But you don't even care once you start trusting God once we were and that's why that's why the blessings are exceeding abundantly because you don't care about those things anymore and so when i think of my husband and my life and i'm thinking it just came i I, right before i retired i thought well i should add up to see if we even could retire when i added all that we had i'm thinking where did it all come from i hadn't even been thinking about it it wasn't that wasn't heavy on my mind it was just happening so God, I want everybody to be in the position to trust God and open your hands and be a blessing. And my main reason is I want you to be blessed, but because I want your ministry to be what it needs to be because there are so many young people leaving church because they're not as comfortable in the old way. <laughs> and we need Pastor Neil, We really do. We need pastors to be able to, like Pastor Neil, to relax and... Bring in those people like my kids who say, Oh, yeah, I'm not going to your church. And, 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 and that's, while that saddens me because this is where we are, and I would love to have them sitting next to me or near me in church, it ain't gonna happen. And so we have to have you to be a blessing and let so God can bless you and also bless this ministry. Okay? Can we understand the giving part? So the last point is this we have to handle our business. <laughs> Because God could bless us with the world and we could be lousy at handling what he blesses us. There are people I counsel, they're not in need of anything. They don't, um, you know, God blesses them constantly. They are faithful givers, but they never quite reach what they want to reach. And when I counsel those people, I really say, I say, well, you're doing everything right but one thing. You don't handle your business. You can't get $10,000 and go eat it up. (laughs) You know what I mean? I had somebody who God blessed them literally with a $10,000 bonus. You know what that person did? Had a big party. Didn't pay the bills that she had. Had a big party for all her friends and stuff. So that that ain't handling your business. So we are required to be good stewards of anything that we get, whether it's little or whether it's great. We have to handle our business. The uh, a steward is a manager or superintendent of someone else's household or someone else's stuff. You know, like Joseph of the Old Testament. He was a good steward of Potiphar's house, of the jail, and he was a good steward of Egypt's stuff. When you know that you are a steward, you realize you are whatever God gives you, you're handling God's stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, you can enjoy it, but you always have to remember ultimately it's God's stuff that He gave you to handle. And when you realize that, you're a little bit more careful about what you do with me. And amazingly, he, when you're truly are, uh, blessed, he'll give you enough to go on vacation, he'll give you enough to rest your mind and stuff like that, but you still gotta handle it. You gotta be you have to be accountable for what you what you've been given. There's a parable in the Bible and this truly is a parable it's a parable about talents where God gave one the master the good master gave one of his servants five talents another two and another one and he gave those talents based on what they could handle and when the ser- when the master came back he he required of those stewards those servants to give an account of the talents he gave them talents representing like the money and so, the, the servant that had the five talents, when the uh, master came back, he said, oh, I, I grew this to 10. And the servant that had two he, talents, he had grown it to four talents. He had increased the use of those talents in the master's kingdom. But the servant that had one talent went and buried it and did absolutely nothing. And so, there was nothing, uh, 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 no growth came out of that one talent. And the, and the master said, you fool. When I give you something, I expect you to handle it like men. I expect you to handle the business of what I give you. So when God gives you the blessing, he expects you to handle it well. What does it mean to handle it well? If I bless you with $100, yeah, I do kind of expect you to give 10 to be a blessing to my kingdom. I'm not asking you to give me all of it, but I am expecting you to give 10. I do expect you to bless those less fortunate than me. I do expect you to get out of the debt as quick as you can because the, the, uh, the scripture tells us the, uh, uh, the debtor is the servant of a lender. You're enslaved to you know, that JCPenney card. You're enslaved to that Visa card. You're enslaved to that, uh, these other debts you're in. Why? Because they just pull your money out from you. Now, the, now don't get me wrong, these are retail credit cards. They can't you know, take, you know, um, garnish your checks or anything, but they charge you 22 to 25% instead. So they pull their money through their interest rates. But other debtors, like that car you own, that's too, too expensive, they can actually go after your che- paychecks. So God don't want you to do that. So God says, I expect you to be good stewards. And what I really expect you to do is grow what I give you. And growing in me doesn't necessarily mean I expect you to invest everything in, in stocks, bonds. If you can do that, that's great. I expect you at least do my will, give, be a blessing to your church, and I will give you the money you need to invest later. So he expects us to handle what, is, what, he, what he gives us. He expects us to, give, to handle it well. He expects us to pay off debt. He expects us to save some money sometimes. Save, what do you save for? Because you're going to retire one day. What do you save for? You're going to, you to be a blessing to others. You save to help our churches in time of need. You save money and put something aside so that you can handle the business that God wants you to handle. So the three things I am encouraging you to do, trust God, believe in him. He owns everything open up your hands and be a giver and then handle your business. Now, you, when handling your business, you have to budget. Now, most people hate budgeting. I hated it when I did it. Now, do I budget now? I, and the only reason I don't budget now is because our monthly expenses are probably about $600. I know what they are. I just pay those. We don't have a lot of expenses. Everything else we could pay for cash. But when you know that you are financially strapped and you need God's help, there's an expectation that you're going to budget your money. And only budgeting is, only thing budgeting is is become self-aware. I am gonna be self-aware. I am gonna know what I spend. I am gonna know what I'm doing with the money I have. And I'm gonna make it work for me and I'm not gonna be working for money all the time. So budgeting this. Um, oops. How do I get this screen up? I changed to a Excel worksheet. So budgeting is the process of becoming self-aware, and if you want to get the book, you can go to uh, Amazon.com and get the book and the budgeting sheet is in there. Okay, <laughs> Amazon.com, Regina Fowler, Simply Grateful Regina Fowler, but you can't see this good, but you can see the, what the, some columns there. Budgeting is about becoming self-aware, and this is what my husband and I had to do, and everybody I counsel, I mean, if you don't want to budget, then I'm probably not the counselor for you. It's really saying, and like I told you about the one lady who was giving in the church and all these, uh, you know, blessing lines she was getting getting in, she was not even aware that the amount she was giving, at least for those three months we analyzed, she wasn't aware that she was giving the equivalent of her tithes. So budgeting is about coming self aware. So it's about documenting everything you you spend money on or you need to spend money on and deciding if what i spend money on is it a need? A need is something you have to have. Like you have to eat, right? You have to have a place to live. Is it something I'm obligated to, even though I don't need it? Obligations are things like your visa bill that you really didn't need, but you decide to use it anyway to get something quicker. Or is it something, something just a want? A want. And the wants are, a lot of times people have a hard time dealing with it, but wants are things like, I wanna go out to dinner at least four times uh, a month. Every Saturday, every Saturday, Sunday I go out to dinner. That truly is a want. I counsel someone and she, half of her, it was about almost half of her budget and she was struggling. Half of her budget was spent on her and her two daughters hair. And I like, and you know, don't get me wrong, going to hairdresser to me is important, but when you ain't got no money, that's definitely a want. You don't, you, you, you're gonna have to learn how to flat iron their hair yourself. Or frankly, they sell in pretty nice wigs these days. You might have to buy one, you know, but It is a want. And so you gotta sit down and say, this is what I spend regularly. If it's something I need, I gotta keep it. If it's something I'm obligated, I probably have to keep it. But a lot of those obligations, you actually can call creditors and ask them to help you. If you are, and um, I had this one sister who, she was just strapped. She was almost near bankruptcy anyway. So if you're near bankruptcy, and I don't encourage bankruptcy, because if you're near bankruptcy, creditors often will write that off anyway, on the phone with you. There was this one sister who had about eight, nine credit cards. She wasn't paying any of them. She called all her creditors and all of them, but one forgave her debt. And it was cleared off her credit report because they forgave the debt. Walmart would not forgive the debt. And their, their, their point of view was this, we give you cheap prices, I ain't gonna let you off this debt. <laughs> So that woman did have to pay her debt, but Visa, MasterCard, and all her other creditors actually forgave her debt because she, they knew that she was close to bankruptcy. So it was going to either be, they were going to lose it either through bankruptcy or another way. Bankruptcy, you'll have to go through, you know, uh, people to go try to collect it for you and stuff. If they write it off, they could just take it off their taxes right then and there. So you can, for those obligations, you might have to do some work and work with somebody or we'll do it yourself and call your creditors and see if you can get out of them and get rid of those obligations. But if you can't get rid of all those obligations, then you have to include those in your budget. And then you have to evaluate what things are truly wants. Those things you're just going to have to, you know, get rid of for a while. You're just going to have to do without them. Without them. And as you build your budget and become, and that budget becomes balanced where your income and your expenses are the same, or your income is more, you can start inserting some of those wants. But that's a, that's, that process is a matter of becoming self-aware. It's something my husband and I had to do when we went through this process and we used this envelope system. We would put money in an envelope. Once that money was gone, it was just gone. That was what was for groceries. We didn't go buy any more groceries. That was just it. So, you have to become self aware and you're gonna to have to go through this process. For people who want to actually um, recover, now, these are this, the budgeting, especially for people who have to recover, because a lot of us are in situations where we have to recover from a bad financial situation. You're gonna to have to go through the tough process of becoming self aware and budgeting. But Dave Ramsey says it's like this live like no one else so you can live like no one else. What he's saying is, have a tight budget. Live like a pauper, a poor person, and get get out of debt so that once you do get out of debt, you'll be able to live like no one else. You'll have so much cash flow. Now you can do some of those things you want to do. And I was telling my daughter just je- yesterday, we were talking about you know taking some risks, maybe you know flipping some houses together and stuff like that. And I said, you know once you get a certain amount of money, sometimes you don't and a certain age, sometimes you don't want to take all the risks that you would when you were younger. Because you have so much more to lose. (laughs) And so, but but the Lord has put us in that position. And the fact of the matter is, He can give you more. Even if you did, and and you you prayed about it, you feel like this is the right thing to do, he'll he'll make everything okay for you. So you um uh so go through the process of budgeting, go through a tough situation. In my book, I talk about. Um, you know my family always wanted to go out eat on sundays my husband and i and our children did not go often and because we were on a tight budget as we were coming out of recovering from what the situation we put ourselves in the debt situation we put ourselves in and i said what we would do we would go to dinner but we would go buy the eight dollar this is back then kentucky fried chicken family meal and the kids were just excited about that because we would put the blanket out on the floor and they would eat their mashed potatoes and coleslaw and piece of chicken and they were excited about that, but we spent $8. And we did that because we knew that going to Red Lobster wasn't appropriate for us in our financial position. But before long, it, going to Red Lobster was no big deal because we had lived like no one else so that we can live like no one else, okay? So the three things are, trust God, believe him, have faith in him, open your hands, and handle your business.
0: We pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life. Come join us live on Sunday at 12.45 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area, we meet at 1060 Chambers Road, a little over a mile south on Bell Fountain Road from Highway 270. You can also join us via Zoom. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that same number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word CONNECT there to be in the know regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. We are Relationship Church. Come grow with us.